Hello, everybody. My name is Dana Van Ostrand, and this is the NCM podcast, Northwestern Campus Ministries. We are doing a new thing. Um, Mark is putting together a sermon series on idolatry, and we're here to talk a little bit about that. Mark, hello. Hey, what's up, Dana? Not too much. Um, We're going to get started here with some introductions because some people might not know me. I'm new here. Uh, My name is Dana Van Ostrand. I'm the resident director of Hospers Hall, um, best hall on campus. Um, Sorry, North Suites and Coley. Um, I am a 2020 grad, two-year RA, played golf here, heavily involved in campus ministry. One time wrote a Mean Beacon article about campus ministry (laughs) that I deeply regret. (laughs) You can ask me about that in person sometime. Legendary, legendary. Um, Yeah. That's me. No, it's, Dan, it's too funny. So yeah, Mark DeYoung, Dean of Christian Formation, Northwestern Campus Ministries. Good to be with you, Dana. Man, I got a lot of fun memories uh, uh, with, uh, with yeah, from your student days to now getting to call you a colleague. And um, yeah, we've we've overlapped a lot of life in, in different capacities, mm-hmm. including, I mean, we've talked about this, right? the infamous Sasquatch conversation, which was the first one I had with you, James, and Brian Follett. Were you— a- The Sasquatch conversation? Weren't you at no, Maybe that was just James and Brian Follett. Anyways, That's you Coley guys that are listening, talk to Brian Follett sometime about Sasquatches. It's—you're in for a real treat. <laughs> and the, such is the divergences that I and Mark probably make regularly. Um, Mark, tell us about your sermon series a little bit. Give us an overview of what we got going on right now. Yeah, no, good. Um, I— when I when I think about seasons in my life that I've been most convicted, I remember years ago reading a book on idolatry and just getting really convicted. Um, I, I think it I think it's hard to sometimes get to the soil beneath the soil beneath the soil of what's actually going on. But um, yeah, there was a season of I think some real resonance for me and repentance for me, and um, it felt like it was uncomfortable in the ways to which I was having to look in the mirror and ask God for some help. And so anyways, I, yeah, this summer, uh, some of those, uh, old things that I, I I had to face years ago, I think kind of resurfaced and it, it brought me back to, um, to that season years ago. And when I had to really sort of face my own idols and, um, I remember hearing once from a scholar who said, yeah, idolatry is the sin beneath every sin. And and um, quite frankly, I was I was not wanting to start the year uh, <laughs> kind of quote unquote coming out of the gates. You know, I think if you would look at sermon series that are more challenging that I've preached in years past, I've taken them on mid-semester, mid-year, something like that. You usually at the beginning of the year, it's like, yeah, hoorah, let's let's have enthusiasm. It's something inspiring. And, and, and so, yeah, so just kind of coming in, knowing the the concept and framework of idolatry, the sin beneath sin, like that's, that's, um, it's, it's, it's challenging. And yet to, to be able to expose those two is the most freeing thing too. So that's been my experience. So yeah, just praying that, that campus will seek the Lord and see his word in all this and face, face themselves and in a way that face their hearts, see, see their hearts, the Lord will help them see what's on the throne of their hearts, you know, in a, in a real, real and personal way. Yeah, that, 
Makes a lot of sense. Uh, we're walking into, yeah, the start of a new year. And when I first heard idolatry was like how we're opening the year, I was a little bit like, that's from the top rope. We're really, we're really getting started. But I think that's a, I think that's a really good way for students to engage and <laughs> really good. maybe set the tone for a year of how, um, yeah, how do we look at our own lives and the allegiances we may have and how do those allegiances add up to yeah, add up to our faith in God. Um, mm. Talk a little bit about your first sermon in this series. Maybe um, refer back a little bit to that for the first Friday, but yeah, the first sermon. Kind of share a little bit about the overview on that. Yeah, that's good. I, I would say, um, you know, the working definition of what an idol is that I'm I'm running on. It's kind of a I would call it kind of a Presbyterian understanding of mm. of idolatry, which is really anything more fundamental than God to our meaning, identity, and happiness. And, and so, and this is what rocked me a number of years ago. Um, the concept that a good gift from God can become a God, mm. you know, when those good things become ultimate things, they become God-like things. That's that that's challenging, you know, and 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 I feel like sometimes that it gets blurry, right? And, and and it and it's so tender and personal in a lot of ways. Like, what's the difference between like over the top enjoyment of a good thing versus, you know, what this is this is more fundamental. This is sneaking into a play, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's the working definition. Um, and then I tried to really kind of lay some groundwork. An example would be Paul, Acts 17. He's calling out the idols of Athens. Um, there's lots we could talk about that, but and and I did talk a little bit about that. And then um, and then even I love Acts 19. It says that Paul, I mean, he was kind of in the business, not just turning people to God, but turning them away from their handmade gods, it mm-hmm. says in, in, in the scripture. And so that if we want to be a people that are repentant or turning towards God, um, we love that concept, but but what does it mean to be a people who are are recognizing how much we need to turn away as well? Um, and so, kind of that one eighty repentance kind of vision mm-hmm. seems to be you know the ministry gospel ministry that Paul was up to mm-hmm. in Acts. And so, I was deep in Acts this summer. Josh knows that our staff, our student staff, we were all reading Acts this mm-hmm. summer. And so that was just something that, and quite frankly, that was a part of. Um, what was starting to to surface this idolatry series was reading mm. Acts this summer, um, but then I I really didn't have enough time. I'm so thrilled, and I'll just put a plug in. Um, Dr. Alan Noble will be on campus early October. Um, he's he's a uh, he's really he's really a philosopher, but he's a professor mm-hmm. of English. Brilliant guy, um, Oklahoma Baptist, uh, highly educated, well rounded, has has a lot of good stuff out there, and. Um, our staff's read several of his books, actually. Mm. And uh, he wrote a book, I'm Not My Own. It didn't get a lot of buzz. Um, it was in 2020. I don't know if something was going on. But um, no, the pandemic just kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel bad for yeah. publishers and authors that yeah. have great books um, that they released in 2020. It's just, it, it just, everything got overshadowed by COVID, rightfully so, you know, it was a tender yeah. time. And mm-hmm. but, but his book came out and... Um, but, but yeah, just reading through it, I, I felt like he was just making some really prominent points and just talking about like the God of efficiency. He mm. wasn't using idolatry, God language, but just how our society is obsessed with efficiency and the malleability of efficiency, that technology, 
we're such a technologically driven society. And so technology is about convenience and convenience is often built on efficiencies. And so we don't have more space because of our technology, but but our technology becomes self-dependent. In other words, it almost perpetuates itself. And so if you have any margin, technology will just like soak up that margin. And technology from kind of a meta-narrative, it's 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 the 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 better, the more efficient, the faster, mm. the you know, how whatever framework you want to think about that. And and Alan was just sort of making the claim that technology as a meta-narrative, what it does is it actually looks at the human person through its own lens. And so it's kind of weird that AI is this like front and center conversation. Yeah. Not to say we want to go chat GDP or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 to think about ourselves from a if if technology and efficiency is the lens that we look at a human being through, that has a lot of drastic implications. And and mm. one of one of the things he talks a lot about is technology has to always be malleable and self-improving improving on itself. And so he talks mm. about this tyranny of self-improvement yep. and we're caught up in this sort of um, just hamster wheel of, of self-improvement and how exhausting mm. that is. And then as a society, technology not only like has a bad anthropology to it on the front end, mm-hmm. but then on the back end to help a human being that's vulnerable deal with that, it, it constantly allows endless self-medicating options. Mm-hmm entertainment, pharmaceutical, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I'm glad I got a yada, yada, yada in there. That's, cool. um, that's an old Seinfeld thing. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, so th- that's, that's kind of where I started going, wow, that's some deep level stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where this, I would say this idol, this sermon, mm-hmm. the self-created self kind of was born. Yep. Um, you know, when we, when we try to elevate ourselves from a human place to a God place, we ironically actually hold ourselves captive and, mm-hmm. and, and sort of, we're not actually elevating, we're actually more confining. And, and his, his word, Dr. Noble's word is, we're creating an inhuman anthropology that we're living our lives by. Mm. Um, and so we're, we're losing touch with like the humanity of people um, mm. with this this constant self-improvement. And I, I don't know, I read the book and I was like both like, this is right on, I see this all around me. Uh-huh. But then I was like in the mirror, like this is right on, I see this deep in me. Mm. And so, yeah, it's kind of like the old line, you're preaching to yourself when you're preaching sermons. Yep. I was preaching to myself like mm. big time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, a place like Northwestern, um, yeah, thinking about our rhetoric, thinking about, uh, you know, sending our students out. Um, yeah, I just felt like, um, yeah, I guess all in all, I'm excited for Dr. Noble to be here. Yeah. I want, he'll articulate it so much better. I'm, I'm glad you're giving credit to Dr. Noble, but I think that you're, I think you're hitting some points with students. And honestly, for myself, the, the mirror can be put on myself as well. I, I experienced a lot of resonance in hearing the sermon. Um, I definitely, you you talk about, um, in the earlier part of your sermon, you're kind of setting up the framework for idolatry. Yeah. And yep. you talk about the Ten Commandments and how you always break the first commandment first. Like, you break the other nine, that's fine, but you don't break 
you don't break any of the other nine without breaking the first. And I think it, it, it's gotten me at that idea of allegiances mm-hmm. and where do our allegiances and our lives ultimately stand. Yep. And um, so I, I guess going back then into what you were talking about with Dr. Noble's framework, um, one of, towards, yeah, we get towards the end of the sermon. And one of the things I took from this was um, you talk about how we consider ourselves more sovereign over our own lives and mm-hmm. talk about how freedom is about limitlessness. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the role of maybe like finitude in humanity and that di- di- uh, paradigm of limitlessness versus, um, yeah, finitude for us as human beings? Yeah, that's that that's really astute, Dean. Because, yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, the virtue of limitlessness, that's, that's a big thing Dr. Noble talks about. And, and some others have talked about too, mm-hmm. right? Like he's not the only one right. kind of naming this moment, but um, it makes me, it, it reminds me of, have you guys seen the the Limitless? Is it the TV show where you take the pill and you're- Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So to go, you talked about our humanity and our finitude. I mean, for me, like going back to Genesis, mm-hmm. I, I throughout my whole life, if I'm just to get like vulnerable- I, I see that virtue of limitless probably because of my sin, but also probably because of the moment that I was born into. Mm-hmm. And everything's up and to the right mm-hmm. in, in, in um, society economics, in the, in the way we think about career, and the way we think about our budget, and the mm-hmm. way we think about— um, and the way we think about our houses, I think I named some of yeah. these as an example mm-hmm. in in my first opening Friday right. sermon. Um, and and so it's it, there's almost uh, this guy. I got a book right here. Uh, Thomas Reynolds wrote "Vulnerable Communion." Rock rocked me this summer. But Thomas talks about the cult of normalcy hmm. and in the normalcy that we often build ourselves around. I think for me, at least, growing up was like up and to the right, that's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, whether health, budget, career, yada, yada. Um, there is a second time I used yada, yada. Um, <laughs> but uh, getting back to, to Genesis, um, we're, we're, we're given such a different picture um, than up and to the right. We're really given um, this beautiful communion that that true freedom is actually in limits. That 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 limits are are not the greatest barrier um, to our human existence. They're actually the greatest blessing and gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and an analogy I've often told people is, when I put a ring on my finger and said yes to my wife, um, I'm saying an exclusive yes to her. I'm covenanting with her, like. And and there's something about the limit of a covenant and limit of a choice that actually the limit itself, the commitment of that limit actually allows for like the depth of love to like continue to kind of build on itself. Mm. And God in some sense limits himself through the cross of Christ to humanity. Carl Barth talked a lot about mm. this this sort of Christ-centered, Christ alone, and yet the universal invitation for all to find new life in Him, mm. 
the this this sort of the 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 covenantal limitation that that God chose a people that that choosing and covenant are a form of limit um, that our humanity, the depth of love and 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 and, and that kind of covenantal framework um, can be most fully tasted and experienced um, in that. I read a book years ago. I can't think of the author right now, but the title of it kind of gets at the notion. This author was, the title is The Gift of Limits. Mm. Um, I just don't think I've ever embraced that idea, you know, throughout my upbringing until God had to do some serious work in my heart that, um, yeah, there's there's something there's something very precious um, and very good, very human um, um, to that, to embrace that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd, I'd be curious. Does that spark anything yeah. for you? I know um, you've thought deeply about this, well, I think, Yeah, I think about the, that idea of particularity and, you know, God chose this this line of the people of Israel, God, then within the, the, the boundaries of that relationship, the covenant that we're talking about here establishes this idea called the Sabbath, a place of rest, um, a limit on humanity, God's own rest, and mm. not to call God maybe limitless, but God maybe placing limits on himself in some capacity. Yeah. And just to, just to acknowledge our own image bearingness in that capacity to say, hey, like we are built for some sort of limits. Um, and then ultimately for me, it boils down to the incarnation, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God, the God man, God entering into flesh entering into maybe our limits in a, a deep capacity and kind of not to say that, yeah, affirming that, Hey, limits are not bad things. Mm -hmm. And in fact, maybe they're good things. And, um, yeah, that, that idea about, of freedom being found in our limits, in our ability to find those rhythms within our limits. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I find that very helpful for my own life. Um, I think there's another another idea that you talk about that it, I think it's very connect it connects very well for me in terms of this exhausting sense of identity crafting um, and kind of justifying all of our decisions and on a self individualized basis because we are creating our own existence. I know for me as a even as a college student here at Northwestern, there are this is not a ragged Northwestern, but this is how cultures get built. It's just the more you're involved in, maybe the more you're looked at as somebody who's a leader, somebody mm-hmm. who stands out on campus mm-hmm. and maybe not finding those limits for myself because I wanted to mm-hmm. wanted to be a, a prominent person. And some of that is my own, yeah, some of that's my own like, hey, like I wanted to be known, kind of going to the Henry Now and the 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 desire to be prominent, right? That That's a selfish thing on my end, but it's also a reward of a Christian culture here at Northwestern. Hmm. That's a really hard tension to live into because we want to encourage people to be involved in a variety of things. And we want to encourage people to, you know, expand their horizons. But what if we portray that message at risk of people not being within their limits. Mm. And I found myself in my, those shoes there as a college student here. I quit golf because of that. Cause I just, I couldn't be everything to everyone at all times. Mm. And I had to make a choice for those limits. And I'm thankful I had a variety of people in my life community to be like, Hey dude, like 
slow down. I don't know if this is right relationship with God and others, but it did take other people being involved in that. And so when it comes down to our identity crafting, I think social media is obviously one that we could talk about within that framework. But are there any other ways to you in terms of how our world views identity crafting that you might be speaking into when you talk about this in your sermon? Yeah, I I mean, there's a... I think about just, and I don't want to jump ahead of my sermon series too much, but sure. cons- but I think consumerism has so permeated the, the I mean, I just think about accessorizing all things. And um, if, if things can be commodified and sold and I can sort of buy and purchase and and wear and 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 display myself in all sorts of different ways, and if and if there's a certain malleableness to who I am, because it's my own justification that really makes me what I am, and there's a dependency on that sort of self justification, then not only is there there a, a certain sense of of pressure. But I also think there's um, this this certain sense that, um, you know, like I use the example of just like a, a pile of plastic that you can kind of remold and liquidate at, at any any time. And, it, and, it, and this, this can kind of stay fluid. And, and the quest for, again, idolatry, meaning or happiness or even identity, um, but the, that the crafting itself— um, and, and even a sense of control, because limits have everything to do with trust in some sense. Like to trust, you know, and limitlessness sometimes can can cater itself to almost the opposite of trust, which is this this sort of um, predisposition to control. But um, yeah, just thinking about things that that historically and classically from from an anthropology of generations ago, millennia ago, that there were certain inalienable, transcendent like principles that 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 a, a, a human person what was what was a recipient of. Because of consumerism, we've accessorized personhood. Mm-hmm. And so now we've we've sort of liquidated and put in our own hands out of a spirit of control um, things that we used to assume. Um, and, and so, and, and yeah, so so um, things we used to assume were just sort of givens, and like inherently given. Um, that those things, even of themselves, are being questioned mm-hmm. um, societally. So. Um, yeah, so it, 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 I think, yeah, for me, just like pivoting out of my logic into into more of of just think how my heart, like just even pastorally connects with that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I really resonate with just what Doctor Noble and and others are talking about is just just the exhaustion mm-hmm. and and um, how we were in so many ways caught up in this just vicious coping cycle. Um, and, and the way self-medication comes in so many different forms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this notion of 
ironically, when we don't live within limits and we live in limitlessness, we actually constant and, and limitlessness is the norm and the virtue. Self-medicating is actually like endless versions of escape hatches. I think I said that like escape hatches yeah. in the sermon, just that like we're that, to getting back to what you said, the incarnation, there's something about, there's something about time and space and the fullness of life in time and space and the limits and particularity and, and the, the posture of trust. And even I would say trust is an act of vulnerability. And, and that's what people like Thomas Reynolds, that what gives us communion, what gives us, um, what gives us a sense of grounding in this reality as we know it, um, it's most preciously tasted in that vulnerable trust. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the Justin Jefferson analogy of yeah. like, dang, look at that catch, yeah. right? Like unbelievable. But then my ending story about my buddy Scott, mm-hmm. like there's something about the, the catch that Scott made that extended from his personhood that I mean, what washed over that place where both teams or the kid that got out because Scott, you know, caught that ball that he hit on a rope on a line drive. I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. And it, I think, I think Scott in many ways, you know, just we, we wear fig leaves of all different shapes and sizes. And for, for the more abled individuals in mm-hmm. some sense, um, and ability comes in a lot of different ways, right? Like if you have certain levels socioeconomically, if mm-hmm. maybe it's different physical abilities, maybe different intellectual abilities, you know, the uh, ableism, you know, can, can take on a lot of different forms. And in some ways, what ableism does when we're idol factories deep in our heart is we're really good at putting fig leaves all over ourselves mm-hmm. to really hide the truest parts of what makes us human, which is that vulnerable trust. And I think for someone like Scott, what he's light years ahead of me in is the the composure, confidence, and um just realities of his life that 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 vulnerable trust and the strength of of him just in, Owning that, he in some ways he hasn't, he, you know, he he didn't have any other choices. He's born a spina bifida, you know. But but to just, yeah, like I don't I don't mean that in in any sort of like cheap way to use Scott as an example, but mm-hmm. a sincere, genuine way that, that that there's something about our humanity that that is most fully depicted. Mm-hmm. I think when we start thinking about that, um, so. Anyways, yeah. I think I digress a little bit from your original question. No, but I think it does get at where, where I guess, where we find rest in that in the end. Because, I mean, when we're talking about um, the, this exhausting feeling, this um, t- yeah, tiredness, overwhelming, um, the, the thing that we'd end up, end up at is rest. Like, I, how, do we, how do we free ourselves from that? And it's a trust in, I think you talk about at the end, that we are not our own. We belong to God. We belong to the Jesus that brings us all together. Um, and I, I want to flesh out in a bit mm-hmm. what that looks like more for us. But there's one more idea that you talk about in here that I just found really, really fascinating called zucosis. Um, we have, 
I, and you talk about it a little bit. You do flesh it out a little bit. But I'd like to. I, can you just talk a little bit more about this idea of zucosis and how that might be playing out amongst all of us in our up and to the right society? Yeah. So zucosis is uh, what um, yeah scientists have observed happens in large cats, particularly lions, where in zoos. They'll almost they'll do something in zoos they don't do in their natural habitat, and they've identified it as a type of psychosis, but they call it zoocosis to to make the point of the fact that as much as they try to manufacture an environment that mimics the real thing, and I think how, that a that a that a lion is still in a cage, like it, it's still a lion in a cage. Um, and so I think the the illustration points out the fact that how do we know we're encaged is maybe the question. Mm. You know, because I, I, I honestly wonder sometimes for in all of our wealth and all of our prosperity and all of our resources and all of our technology, you know, and whether it's students on our campus or just even the families that we come from, even my own heart, like, do I really think I'm encaged? You know, Um but I wonder at the end of the day, if we pay attention to those symptoms, those symptoms point to a deeper, deeper thing. And so when you see a sort of psychosis in a lion, it's, it's pointing to the reality that's in the cage. And so for, for us, all the different many versions of, of, of escape hatches and self-medicants, like, um, they, 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 like, why are we trying to escape so much? Mm-hmm. Um, and cope so much in so many different ways. And is it is it all really ultimately pointing to the fact that we're engaged in a bad, false anthropology? Mm-hmm. And in some sense, I don't want to displace responsibility, but I also want to just put people at ease a little bit. Like, this is before any of us were born. Mm-hmm. Like, again, I'm not just like displacing responsibility because at the end of the day, we got to own it to some degree, the, the moment that we're at, we get a, we have, there's, there's autonomy and response in that, but, but th- this is, this is, this is a bigger, bigger current societally and structurally and historically that, that we're sort of, sort of caught up in. And so, um, so yeah, so zucosis is kind of the symptom points to a deeper engagement. Hmm. Yeah. That, I think that leads perfectly into then where, where do we, where where are we going in terms of, you know, we again, people like me experiencing, uh, students here experiencing either dizzying freedom, uh, and by freedom, it's really a, a trap, experiencing maybe in some capacity this zucosis. Um, what 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 do we need to start living to? I think we've I think we've very clearly named this idol of self creation. Um, and we know we belong to Christ. We turn to Christ. What might that look like for somebody who's like, I'm just stuck. I am just trapped. I don't know how to, what's my first step from hmm. this situation? Hmm. I mean, I, I just think it's a 180 to, to say, um, you know, my identity is justified on my own versus my identity. It's, already been justified Mm -hmm. and there's nothing that will add or ever take away from it. Mm -hmm. And and so um, to just recognize that the identity of belonging, like deep, deep down to just, 
just that deep trust to just know that like I'm so held. Like I, I just think deep inside of every freshman, especially right now, mm. walking on campus, mm-hmm. but every upperclassman, even old men like Josh Kuypers and Mark DeYoung. Dana, you're not there yet. You're still a young, young yeah. buck. But like, like we just, we long to belong. It's just like in our DNA. And so I guess just to like really try to hammer home the significance of like the amount of rest and peace that washes over me or anybody listening to this, um, that, that I don't have to, I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to justify myself. Like, and to like, let that truly like take hold at the footing of my identity. Wow. Like, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I have a hard time. I think I'm better at sometimes allowing the theoretical to just be what it is mm-hmm. versus a- application. So maybe this isn't practical enough, but just to like, just like, like, wow, do I believe that? Like, mm-hmm. like, I am not my own. Right. And there and there's nothing that can change the grip of God. His grip's way too strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I just if I just accept his grip, like it's forever. Mm-hmm. Nothing's gonna move that. Um and so yeah, it's just a precious truth, mm-hmm. you know. And so um no doubt there's plenty of things that I think are lies mm-hmm. that we have to that we have to wrestle with and um, you know, and the symptoms of lies are they come in a lot of different forms, but, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, just receive grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. That's a very, I think that's a very good word for people to let, um, kind of wash over them, um, to sit in. I think, yeah, we'll get into this at probably a later time, but for people to truly experience and sit in a word such as, uh, I belong to Christ and, um, what it might look like for that to wash over their lives and decision-making and beyond, I think can truly revolutionize not only a, yeah, not only a specific thing in someone's life, but an entire life lived and how, how you can, yeah, the freedom you truly have in knowing that. And I would just say this too, like this just popped in my head. So maybe, maybe it's meant for a listener or listeners, but I love the gospel of Matthew, the baptismal moment of Jesus, that he comes out of the water, the dove falls on him, the Holy Spirit, and then the audible voice of the Father speaks over Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Or another way of saying that is, son, I'm, I'm proud of you and I love you. And what I love about that is Jesus, and I, this might be heretical, So forgive me, Lord. But like what I love about that is this. Jesus didn't do jack squat yet. He didn't do do jack squat. The father does not say that after he's like been through the wilderness. He didn't say that after he went to the cross. Like we don't. Yeah, first thirty years we don't know much. He did. He did a lot. I don't. Golly, yeah. You know that's why they're heretical. But like, but my point is, is like, I think that testifies to a, a deep reality that that we we sort of live in the gift of love as 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 an overflow of the reality of what we receive. That that Jesus was beloved. That his identity wasn't about what he accomplished, what people thought about him, which. 
frankly, his reputation wasn't that great, mm-hmm. you know, in his time, right? Yeah. Um, and, and and he wasn't living, obviously, for wealth and prosperity. The dude was homeless and said some some hard things. And, you know, and so it's, but I just love that, that, that truth, um, you know, was, was before, before I did anything. And it's just, it's, it's, yeah, Matthew 3, 17, it's, it's one of my favorite verses, um, just to know that timing. And so, yeah, for any listener out there, just that when you are in Christ, when you belong to him, when you are grafted into him, when you have a common union where you, you're united to Christ forever, common union with your brothers and sisters, all the truths of Jesus are now bestowed upon you benevolently. And that same fatherly affection for Jesus is now in Christ. We have that exact same waterfall of affection from the Father on us. And it's just, I just think it changes everything. So obviously in writing sermons, um, you have to prepare for a certain amount of time. And oftentimes things have to sadly get cut. Is there anything that you wanted to share from what you got, what got cut during that time? Yeah, no, that's good. I, I appreciate the question. Um, yeah, kind of like, kind of like I said earlier, um, you know, I'm really kind of preaching to myself and, and some, something. So there's this archbishop from France, um, 16th, 17th century, something like that. But Fenelon was what he went by. Um, his full name, I'm not even going to try to say it because it's, it's, I'll butcher it. Um, but um, there's these letters that Fenelon wrote to um, some of the priests that, that he sort of oversaw and shepherded, shepherding shepherds. And these letters are just, they just kind of rocked. They've been rocking me this summer. Um, but, but here's a quote as I think about, as I think about, the version of myself and the way I think about self in, in that sneaky place of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. and, and so he talks a lot about, um, uh, actually one of my favorite artists, John Foreman is a musician. He, he has a song about the same thing, but Fenelon talks about um, this concept of, I thought living was learning how to live but actually, the longer I live, the more I realize that living is learning how to die. Hmm. And not in a, any other sense other than just this kind of death to self from that flesh sinful place. Mm-hmm. Like, like learning how to, like Jesus, Jesus died to himself well before he took on the cross, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like he perfectly... Um, you know, get, he emptied himself, Philippians 2, right? He gave up his right as God. And so I think it's with that mindset, but Fenelon writes this. He says, um, although being a know-it-all makes us feel important, what really is needed to strengthen Christian character is love. So don't be satisfied with anything less than love. The quote goes on. He says, you certainly don't think it possible that the love of God and the dethroning of self can only be reached through the acquisition of knowledge. You already know more than you can use. You would do better to put into practice what you already know. Oh, how we deceive ourselves that we are supposed, that we suppose that we are growing in grace because of our vain curiosity and being gratified by the enlightenment of our intellect. We need to be humble and understand what we cannot receive uh, that that we cannot receive God's gift from any man. 
the love of God comes to us only from Jesus. And so there's really kind of two things in this quote. One is just the humility of wisdom, that, that to pivot from knowledge to wisdom, that distance is humility. And then the second is that if we want to really experience more of that love of God, that fullness, it's, it's equally matched with the dethroning of the self. And, and that dethroning, like we're talking about altars of your heart, yeah. the thrones of your heart, like that. And, and I've just been thinking about that. Like, yeah, sometimes idolatry can be like, how do you get rid of the bad things? Or how, how, do, you, how do you remove stuff? But we talked a lot about, it's not just about removing, it's about replacing. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a life of pursuit. And, and what does it mean to pursue? I think I said that in the sermon. Like, what mm-hmm. does it mean to like pursue? That's the brilliance of Jesus. He didn't just call out the first commandment mm. before the 10 commandments, that thou shall not, but, but he, he called them to the Shema, mm-hmm. you know, love the Lord with all. And so if we want to pursue that love, I think what Fenelon was brilliantly saying generations ago is you got to dethrone the self too. Mm-hmm. Um, which then makes me think like, oh, so even though we're in a modern technologically driven time and this malleable thing that we think is novel and new, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, that dethroning of self, it seems, it takes different forms throughout yeah. different generations. So, yeah. um, but that's one thing that got cut. I, I wanted to quote Fenelon, didn't have time. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing I wanted to, to t- sort of integrate in is... Um, Henry Nouwen's last book he ever wrote, Adam. Mm. And so he tells this story, two stories I wanted to share, and I'll just kind of summarize them. One story he talks about is how a guy that he worked with comes and visits him at this large community, this community with core members, individuals with with intellectual and, and, and physical disabilities. And Adam, he was partnered with, with Adam and this guy visits him and it's a gentleman who's a pretty prestigious guy and, and a, a colleague at the university where, 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 uh, where Henry Nowen used to work. And he basically was kind of implying or directly saying to Henry, like, hey, you got all these like global invites to speak all over. You could teach at any university, like kind of this, like, what are you doing here at large? Mm. Like kind of, why are you wait Like, why are you wasting, you know, your life or whatever? Um, and so that story just kind of, th- that that resonates with me mm-hmm. um, and, and sticks out. And, and when I think about, you know, John the Baptist, you know, Christ must increase, but I must decrease. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes we think about, I, I just wonder if our notions of worth jack up our versions of like what it means to be about the kingdom. And um, so he responds to this guy with this quote. Um, He said, the university, um, uh, it gave me a lot of unique opportunities to develop my thinking and my spiritual life and to share a lot of ideas with hundreds of peoples and opportunities to travel, but they never offered me a home. And then he goes on to write, and this was a part I I cut. Um, He said, uh, living close with Adam and others brought me closer to my own vulnerabilities. While at first it seemed quite obvious who was handicapped and who was not, living together day in and day out made the boundaries less clear. Yes, 
Adam, Rosie, Michael, they couldn't speak, but I spoke too much. Yes, Adam and Michael couldn't walk, but I was running around as if life was one emergency after the other. Yes, John and Roy needed help in their daily tasks, but I too was constantly saying, help me, help me. And when I had the courage to look deeper, to face my emotional neediness, my inability to pray, my impatience and my restlessness, my many anxieties and fears, the word handicap started to take a whole new meaning. Mm. The fact that my handicaps were less visible than those of Adam and his housemates didn't make them any less real. And then he goes on to talk about how gentle and safe Larch was in this notion of home. Mm-hmm. So I just, again, it kind of reinforces this idea that I, I felt like was hitting me and I wanted to share with campus just the challenge of like, at the end of the day, now one's like getting at this tender middle of like what makes us human mm. in, the, in the deepest, purest, holiest of sense. And I, I think it has to do with like that longing for home and I think there's something about like vulnerability and um, being able to face those fig leaves. And sometimes the most able, quote unquote, able in our society have more resources and capacities to actually struggle the most, mm. to run from humanity the most, mm-hmm. true, the true tender middle of humanity, because right. They got all the different things to hide behind. And I I don't know, it's just been hitting me to hear Nowen at the end of his life, you know, have this guy come and like call him out kind of like, what are you, why are you not at the university? Why are you not publishing more? Why are you not taking these big speaking gigs? Why are you at Larch? Like, Mm -hmm. that's why, you know, like that's powerful. Yeah, it sounds like Adam was almost a mirror for Nowen and his, the fig leaves to just be like, torn the shreds and for maybe for us what does it look like for our communities to look more authentically honestly at ourselves and at one another in a safe and loving and caring space what does that mean yeah i don't have an answer for that no that's a beautiful (laughs) that's a good rhetorical question we'll we'll let that hang well and there's one other story i'll just share so now and um there's this woman kathy and i'm kind of pulling this from memory right now um, because it'll take me a while to find it in the book, but uh, she, she, she's like known by the White House. Mm. She's, she's got crazy amounts of wealth, very prestigious. But because of Nowen's background at the university and all of his travel, he'd gotten connected to this woman, and they they'd done things before. She'd brought him places, but now Nowen's at Larch. She calls him. She's she's really struggling. Struggling. Nowen says, "Hey, come to Larch." So she comes and she's just, she's got everything. I mean, all the wealth, all the fame, all the prestige, more resource than, you know, and she just confesses to now and she's, she's later in her years, similar to now and at that time. And she's just depressed amongst depressed among mm-hmm. like just really, really in a dark, dark place. And now one kind of writes about this. And now one invites her to stay with him and 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 Adam in this community, and sh- and now one invites her to really like work with Adam and, and be more involved. And yeah, long story short, there there was these these powerful moments that sort of culminated over those weeks where, um, yeah, she just really the the humanness in her um, just really started 
started to unlock, started to, 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 to find liberation. And so now one kind of writes about that, that all the things our world esteems and all the things that our world maybe can quickly overlook or even misidentify or, or not fully understand, um, it's perhaps one of the most vulnerable places that she has to enter into to really almost find herself. Um, and so that that was a story too that just, it, it, yeah, it just got me thinking yeah. uh, about what are we doing at Northwestern? What am I doing with with my own family? What do, what do we, how, how do we, how do we help? I mean, kind of looping full, full circle. How do we help us kind of really not just think about our limits, but think about that tender middle, that yeah. vulnerable, that, yeah. that, 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 that um, really raw, raw, honest place. Hmm. Yeah, what a beautiful story. Well, um, this was the, the first of what is coming out to be a, a resonant and um, I think challenging series, but one that I think might move us all um, preaching to ourselves in a yeah deeper capacity towards Christ. So thank you for your word. And um, yeah, this has been a good time exploring this. Um, may we know that we are a, a loved people in the midst of our existence in the middle of what we're, what we're in today. 